Let's go before the Lord again. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before the throne to worship you again through the preaching of your word. And Lord, we ask for understanding. We pray, Lord, that you show us the things of Christ. And may your spirit teach us that we may know these things, that we may believe them and know who Christ is and who we are in him and what he has accomplished for us. We pray and thank you for all those who shall listen also, that you may grant them understanding. And Lord, we know that your word won't come back to you empty. And so Lord, we pray that even this message will go forth and perform the work that you have given it for. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back to the book of John. Your brother Robert was crying for like two months. When are we going to get to the book of John chapter 6? Chapter 6, John chapter 6. So we are in, in the book of John. John chapter 6, 51 to 58. 51 to 58. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. The word of the Lord. Eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. Verse 51. We already talked to verse 51 from last week's sermon. But we're going to pick up from that verse to build background for the other verses. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We need to understand the problem that we have as sinners if we have to understand the words of the Lord. But these are theological statements. These are not just words, empty words. This is not about eating and drinking. These are theological statements about salvation. And if we don't understand who we are, we cannot understand the words of the Lord. But we cannot understand who we are unless God teaches us and tells us who we are. Until God gives us the light by which we know, we can measure ourselves by, and know who we are. God's diagnosis of all the children of men is that they are wilderness dwellers, as Sister Jeannie was talking about. Darkness dwellers. Those who live in patched grounds with no running water and no food. Those who are on the brink of death because in this wilderness called the world. They are fiery serpents. And these serpents have deadly venom such that any who gets beaten is guaranteed to die. You see, if you are not in Christ and something happens to you right now, you're going to hell. That's how close you are to death. People don't realize that. They're thinking they're going to retire, collect their social security, get their 401k, and then go on vacation, 
and then maybe go to a nursing home and then maybe you have another 10, 15 years. No, that's not true. They are not understanding the problem that they have as men. That they are always walking in death. They are always walking. Death is always abiding on them. The wrath of God abides on them. God has already condemned them. He's not waiting for them to be condemned. They're already condemned. For he who believes is not condemned, but the one who does not believe is condemned already, and the wrath of God abides on them. So we are saying that all men who are born in this world system, this very important understanding in the theology of John, because John is working this theology in the wilderness. And that's why he continues to drop breadcrumbs of the wilderness in the conversations. And of course, it's the Holy Spirit who is working that theology and tying all those themes into the theology of Jesus. So all men born in this world, this system, this spiritually wicked and corrupt system, are born under darkness because of sin. And have already been beaten by the fiery serpents. And because they've already been beaten, the scripture says they are dead in trespasses and sins. And so we were born beaten by the fiery serpents. Isn't it amazing that in Genesis, the serpent who came to Eve? And it is. The serpents who came and beat the children of Israel. And in the language of the theology in Numbers 21, it's by the raising of the bronze serpent that, that was in the likeness, as we have learned before, the bronze serpent that was in the likeness of those, of the things that were biting the people, was the one that was raised. So that those who looked are the ones who lived. So the problem that all children of men have began in the garden, in Genesis 2-7, where God said, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you shall eat from it, you will surely die. On the day, not if you eat it. On the day that you are going to eat it, you are surely going to die. So God was not giving a possibility. He was not saying, Oh, Adam, you are going to be able to resist this temptation. No. He said, for sure, this is going to happen on the day. And <laughs> you shall discover that you know neither good or evil <laughs> after you have eaten it. So all men died spiritually in the first Adam. And that is why all men die, because all sinned and died in Adam. And God has been teaching this reality throughout the history of humanity, but he has recorded for us the story of the children of Israel to give us a PowerPoint presentation of our own wilderness. For their story is also our story. If they were in bondage in Egypt, we too were also in bondage to sin. If they require the Passover lamb to escape their slavery, we also needed the Passover lamb for our deliverance from slavery to sin. If they thirsted in the wilderness and got water from the rock that was smitten, the water that God gave them, did not just come out by itself. It had to be smitten. And that rock was Christ who had to be smitten on the cross for the water of life to come out. And that is why Moses got in trouble when he tried to hit the rock twice. You don't hit Christ twice. Christ is not punished twice for the same sins. So Moses got in trouble for that, for messing up that teaching. So we too needed water from the rock that was smitten on the cross. The water that wells up to eternal life. 
And if the children of Israel were dying of hunger in the desert and needed manna, we too needed the real bread from heaven to have life. If they were murmuring and grumbling against God and were getting beaten by the fiery serpents, we too have been murmuring and grumbling against God and have been beaten by the fiery serpent of sin. And if they were dying and God raised a bronze serpent for them through a mediator, Moses, that those who looked, lived, we too were dying and God has raised not a bronze serpent for us, but Christ. But Christ. So that we who have looked will live because of Christ. And so the history of Israel was a shadow, a type and figure of our own spiritual story, our own surgeon in the wilderness of sin called the world. And so when John is talking about the cosmos, the world, he is talking more, more than just the physical created world. But the spiritually wicked and fallen system of the world that is under sin and God's judgment. So we have to understand that. So it is this world that Jesus comes to to save. And if anyone in this world has to be saved, someone who is outside of it has to come. Very important. And bring something that this world cannot manufacture. This world can manufacture cars, toys, lipstick and nail polish for those who like to do their nails. But not life. It cannot manufacture life. This world is in darkness and so it needs light and is spiritually lifeless and so it needs life. And that is the problem. That's the problem. So when Jesus was discussing with the Jews in this chapter of John, he is talking to people who have no light and are spiritually lifeless, who could only relate things at the physical level. They have a misunderstanding of the spiritual realities that Jesus is teaching them. And this is a consistent pattern that we've seen so far in the book of John with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, man, how can these things be? How can a man be born when he's old? (laughs) He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he, Jesus? Nicodemus does not get it. He thinks and reasons at the physical level. And Sister Samaritan, I have some water that will quench your thirst forever. But she misunderstands. She does not rise above the physical. And so she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. (laughs) Where then do you get that living water? She doesn't get it. So the Jews... Here, in this part of John 6, have also failed to rise above the physical bread and the fish. They want to have this bread and now, and lots of it. (laughs) For the sake of convenience and not for spiritual salvation. And that is why the conversation continues on and on and on. As the discussion goes on, the disciples do not get enlightened, but actually get more hardened to the truth. They actually get hardened. And that is the nature of the gospel. It softens some, in the words of someone who is saying this, it softens some and hardens others. Just like boiling water softens butter, but hardens eggs. The same water. So the gospel can actually condemn you 
and harden you to truth instead of, instead of opening you to hearing more truth. But the Lord intends to shed more light to them about his significance to salvation. So in this discourse, he couched the discussion, the whole discussion, on bread. Bread is or was a convenient analogy because they are familiar with bread. And that is why at the well he talked about water because water was very convenient analogy for the woman. So they understand the importance of such a staple in their diet and nourishment. But as I said, they fail to rise above the physical nourishment. And many in our day with the prosperity gospel have also failed to rise above the physical of by his stripes were healed. 90% if not 100% of the interpretation of Isaiah 53 by his stripes were, you were healed is always used for physical healing. For your toothache. For your headache. It's never explained in the context of our salvation. Never. And yet, that text is 100% about salvation. But the Lord comes and says, if one has to live, they need to eat a different kind of bread. A bread that is not from this earth. You see, the origin of the bread is important. A bread that is from God. A bread that is God. A bread that is the living bread, the true bread, and the drink, the true blood. And what was Jesus saying? These are all qualifications of a savior. That's what he was saying. This is what qualifies one to be a savior. There is no salvation in anyone who is from this world, no matter how pretty, Rich or smart they are. They are disqualified by reason of place of origin. So Mohammed could not cut it. There's nobody who cuts it. If your origin is from the earth, then it means you can't save yourself and you can't help in your salvation. You can't save yourself and you don't help in your salvation. For one to be savior, they have to have their origin from heaven, but that is not enough. They need to be from God, but that is not enough because angels are from God. They need to be God, but that is not enough. They need to come down. They need to come down to the place where salvation is needed. They need to be accessible to those who need salvation. And as long as God remains as spirit, we could not get the life in him. Very important. That life had to be communicated to us by someone who is God, but who is also flesh. Not just flesh, but sinless flesh. And so Jesus is this one who is God and who is sinless man who was fashioned this way for the purpose of revealing God and making God life and salvation accessible to fallen men. That's a lot of theology. Jesus was made this way to make salvation accessible. Because if Jesus is not God and man, salvation is without our reach. It can't be reached. It has to come this way. And because he is God, he makes the claim and says, I am the living bread. And that is, that I am is ego and me. And is the same that was translated, is the same expression that was translated in the Greek Septuagint for I am that I am in Exodus 3. We'll go ahead and read that because it's very important to what we are talking about today. I've been promising to talk about the I am statements and the Lord finally gave it to me today. So praise the Lord for that. 
So Exodus 3 verses 1 to 9. And then we'll continue and get to Exodus 3, 10 to 14. Exodus 3, 1 to 19. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Listen again to Verses 10 to 14. Therefore come now and I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Suddenly I'll be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The word of the Lord. (laughs) Look at the progression of the discussion. It's the angel of the Lord who assumes the title of God. He's not just an angel. He is God himself. And it's Jesus. And we're going to find out that from the book of John. So this I am has come down. (laughs) Verse 8 says, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. So this I am has come down from where? From heaven. To do what? To deliver his people. Not just from the Egyptians. But from the power of the Egyptians. Who are these Egyptians? Sin. And slavery. To sin. And if you remember, well, Edward Tillman preached on this. That was his text. The coming down of God was a promise of his incarnation. And now that he has incarnated, he comes and says, Guess what? I have come down from heaven. That was the language of Jesus all the time. I have come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the all-sufficient provision of salvation and life. And so, let us hear more from Jesus on his I am statements. I am this statement. John 6, 51. That will be the first one. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. 
What was that saying? You were saying, I am the all-sufficient provision of salvation and eternal life. That is number one, I am. Number two, I am statement is in John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the light that was lit in the tabernacle by the high priest to enable the priest to approach God in the Holy of Holies. And there was only one source of light in the tabernacle. Just one. Just one. And that is the light that the priest used to see their way as they approached God in the Holy of Holies. And Jesus says, I am that light that allows you to see God. He is the only one who makes God visible to men and allows them to see him. I am statement number three, John 10, 7. And 9, 7 and 9. John 10, 7 and 9. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the ship. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The door of the ship again had one entrance into the pen. And it was the same entrance that was also used as the exit. And if the sheep have to go out to graze, they could only come out through this door. And if they had to get back into the pen, it was again through the same door. And Jesus says, I am that door. That gives entry into security. As when the sheep enter at night and are protected from predators, and provide exit for them for feeding and nourishment. I am that door. If I don't open that door, they are stuck in there, they will die. Okay? And if I'm not strong enough, predators will come and break in and get them. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you, I haven't worked the theology of the headsman yet in the book of John. But we're going to have a lot of teaching. Because when you have hyenas, where I grew up, lots of hyenas. I mean, like, just, I don't know how many. There's just too many hyenas. When they come to eat the like gods, they don't enter into the pen. They open a way for the gods to come out. And then they go right around and scare them. Scare them out. And when they come out, then they eat them. And Jesus is the door. It's high security door. But listen to this. John 10, 11. Not only is he the door that lets the sheep out to go into the pasture, he is also the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the enemy comes to eat them. And that would be I am statement number four. So not only is he the door of the ship. But when the ship go out. He goes out with them. He just doesn't open the door. And leave them to roam. He goes out with them. And he lays down his life for them. When predators come. So they get him. And not the sheep. The sheep are spared on account of the shepherd. He keeps and delivers his sheep from danger and none is lost and if any is lost, he will go find it and bring it to the fold. Number five, I am statement. John eleven twenty-five and 26. 
Jesus said to her, that's to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And so because he is the good shepherd, when he lays down his life for the sheep, he does not remain dead. Otherwise, the other sheep become vulnerable. He rises again so that he may continue to shepherd his sheep. And if for some reason any of his sheep dies, he gives it life so that it may be recovered. That's why he said, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And if they die, they will live. And so that is what Jesus brings. He brought life and the resurrection for his dead ship. We were dead ship. And so he has given them life that they may come to him. Number six, I am statement, John 14, six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And he is the truth. And truth is a person, not a set of propositional statements. And he again is the life. So you need all those things to come to God. You need the way and you need the truth and you need the life because you're dead. And you don't know the way and you don't know truth. And Jesus says, all that is found in me. So to access God, you need the way to be open to you and you need to know how to approach him. You see, Jesus Christ was revealed so that we may know how to approach God and to come to God in a way that God accepts us. And that is why Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says, and he has become to us the wisdom from God. You need wisdom. And only Christ has the wisdom to teach you how to approach God. Number seven statement. The last I am. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. And that means he is the source of nourishment for all those who are in him. For no one can have life in themselves unless they are part of him They are in union with him, that is, if they abide in him as branches of a tree, abide in the tree to have life. So Jesus is the true vine that produces good fruit in those who are attached to him, for without him you can do nothing, because the flesh profits nothing. So the fruit that is being produced in you is not coming from you, is the fruit of the vine. Okay? The fruit that is produced in a tree does not belong to the fruit. The mango belongs to the mango tree. Right? Oranges belong to the orange tree. So the fruit of the Spirit in the believer is the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's not you. You can't produce that. That is why he said, unless you abide in me, you are nothing. You have no life in you. So Jesus is the true vine that produces good fruit in those that are attached to him. For without him, like I said, you can do nothing. So this is where we are. We have here seven witnesses of Jesus from John 5, if you remember. And we talked about the seven discourses. The seven discourses. And now we have the seven I am statements. And that completes our sevenfold I am statements. And Jesus is saying, I am God. And, and I need to to pay attention to something there that is very important. The way that Jesus 
was teaching about those I am statements. The I am statements are always in relationship to something that the world cannot have. I am the bread of life. Why? Because the world does not have it. I am the truth. The world has no truth. I am the life. The world has no life. So they always relate him to the world. All of them. Except for one. The statement, I think in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. That statement was not given in the context of salvation. All the seven statements are statements on salvation. All these seven statements. They are all relating to salvation. Every one of them. So the statement that before Abraham I am was not qualified in a salvation sense. So we don't edit in that respect and count it among the seven. But these statements actually have their respective Old Testament connections which we shall look at some other time if the Lord grants time. We work every one of them and show you from the Old Testament what Jesus was saying. And he was basically claiming that I am God. I have already been talking about these things before. So this one who has come down from heaven is the incarnate son of God. He is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He is the true bread, the bread of God and the bread of life. If he is all these things, he is saying, I am God. Because life is only possessed by one who is God. And by this statement, he was saying, I am the possessor of life. I am the self-existing one, the self-independent one, the self-sufficient one, and that is Yahweh, that is Jehovah. But this life in God, this life in Yahweh, has to be formulated in a way that it can be communicated to his creatures. And so the incarnation of Christ was necessary for the communication of spiritual life to those who were dead and lifeless in this world. So he says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the one who eats this bread will live forever. But it has to be given in a particular way, not just by the breathing of the life, giving spirit, and not by CPR. (laughs) You're not going to do some resuscitation to give someone eternal life. That's not how it works. It's not for someone whose heart has stopped. It is for someone whose spiritual heart stopped way back in the garden. Our spiritual heart died in the garden. This is just a physical pump. Okay? But this, this bread is not just for the Jews, but it's for the world at large. And so in there, Jesus is expanding his mission, and he's talking about coming to die to save his people who are in the world, not everyone in the world. And so the Lord explains his purpose in coming out of heaven and says, It was so that he may be given. And that is the language of sacrifice. He was given over for our transgressions. And for him to be given, he needs to be betrayed. Into the hands of sinful men. And so he said in John 6, 70 and 71. Did I myself not choose you? The twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. And John says, Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So that is one of the most important clues in understanding Jesus' teaching in John 6. 
that statement there qualifies what Jesus was talking about, the bread, the flesh, and the blood. He was talking about the cross because otherwise Judas would not have appeared there. So that is a very purposeful statement to say, guess what? This is the background. I am talking about the cross. And Judas is the instrument by which I'm going to go to the cross. And that's how I'm going to be given to the world. So whenever the Son of God is given, it is always in the context of his life and death. His sacrifice, his substitutionary atonement of our sins on the cross. That is always the context of Christ being given. It always respects his death on the cross. And so he, as God has been given this way and has been clothed this way with human flesh for the sake of dying. And if his flesh is not given on the cross, there could not be life. There's no other way that life could be given outside the cross. And so those who are talking about, well, Jesus, we just need Jesus as our example. Just a radical teacher, very good teacher. I I could sit under Jesus and learn some good lessons about how to lead my life. (laughs) Just foolishness. (laughs) Just pure foolishness. Jesus was given that he may die. And it's because of the nature of God that he can only transact life on the cross. The exchange of life and death could only be done on a tree of shame, on another tree. Just as we fell because of what happened with another tree. So the exchange of condemnation and justification can only happen again on another tree. That's why the cross. So then if you're reading Genesis and reading the account, don't, people just want to, they don't understand the theology of it. It's talking about Jesus and the cross. It's preaching the gospel all the way through. But the Jews are not amused by Jesus' teaching. <laughs> As expected, Jesus does not bring the seven steps to a successful marriage. the Jews begin to argue with one another saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat the Jews of course do not understand the teaching of Jesus and so there is confusion in their camp and the Lord Jesus Christ always caused theological confusion to people and he did not apologize for it he never did And many still in our day are confused by the words of Jesus. Because that's not what they expect to hear from Jesus. Sovereign grace terms of salvation are hard to hear. Because they remove all efforts of salvation from man. And whatever man calls goodness... And whatever effort of man, God says, zero. That does not help you in your salvation. So grace removes the grounds of salvation from man and places it 100% in God's hands. And this offends people. And so they go to places or churches that change the terms of salvation for them to give them something that they can do, something that they can contribute to make themselves feel good. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And the Lord says, unless, unless. And that is stating an absolute condition of salvation. A non-negotiable condition. And that condition is placed on himself. But says, you have to come and partake 
what I have to give. And see that Jesus used the messianic title, the son of man, to say this is about salvation because the son of man is coming as the Messiah. The Messiah is not coming to battle your physical enemies, but is saving you from your sins. And this is what has to happen. You have to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, or else you have no life in yourself. Sinners have no life in themselves. And we don't even know what that means until we actually experience it. But the promise of the gospel is that the one who believes in Christ has already right now possesses that life. So we don't have life in ourselves. It has to be given us. And God has given it to us through his own son. And so Jesus says in verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So the person who eats his flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life. Has present tense. Present tense, eternal life. You have to possess the life now or else you can't possess it afterwards. You have to possess it now. And the one who has eternal life believes in Jesus because they already have eternal life. And Jesus says, Because I have given them eternal life now, I will raise their physical bodies also on the last day so that he may conform their physical bodies to the life and righteousness that their spirits possess now. So a time is coming where there's going to be harmony between your body and spirit. Where the righteousness of Christ is no more just imputed, but you actually possess it in glorification. Okay? And so Jesus ties salvation and eschatology in his own Christology. Okay, that's big words. That's easy. <laughs> eschatology. You read the Bible, there is the last Adam. If Jesus Christ is the last Adam, right? First Adam, second Adam. The second Adam is called the last Adam. Last is eschaton. So eschatology means just the last things. So it's just the study of last things. And Christology is the study of Christ. Is the person of Christ. Is the work of Christ. So Jesus says, salvation itself is in me. And what happens at the end of the ages, the last days, is all in me. I am the one who does that. So he says, whatever happens now and then is in him. He gives life to you now and he will also raise you up on the last day. And that is a promise of God. That is a promise of salvation. And so those people who preach and say you can lose your salvation, they're not preaching Christ. I I have to really say that. They're not preaching the gospel. They are preaching a gospel that is contrary to what Jesus was teaching. Because Jesus always affirmed security of salvation. Always. Okay. So if anybody claims to preach Christ and they don't bring a gospel that is security, they are not preaching the gospel. Okay. So Jesus says, verse 55, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So there's a contrast. Jesus has a background. He's making a comparison. Unlike the manna, unlike the barley loaves, Jesus' flesh is true food. So the raising of Jesus on the cross is the true provision from God. And the shedding of his blood, the real drink that quenches all who thirst for righteousness. Not water from Jacob's well, Sister Sarah, a Samaritan. (laughs) But these are speaking about the same things. The water is talking about the cross. 
The food is talking about the cross. The blood is talking about the cross. So in verse 56, Jesus says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Okay. So Jesus is working the theology. And he says, The person who eats the flesh and drinks the blood of Jesus abides in him and Jesus will abide in him. And what is that saying? To abide means to remain. It is union language. It's union language. Because the sinner has no life in themselves, the only way that they can possess life is if they are in union with the one who possesses it. And so the one who eats and drinks the blood of Jesus has entered into union with him who is eternal and who is life and hence eternal life. You hear the connection? You have to abide in the one who is life to have life. And because you abide in the one who is eternal, you have eternal life. That's how and where you get your eternal life. So eternal life is not necessarily an unending time period, which it is. But in the context of Jesus' teaching, it means possessing the life of God. It's possessing the life of God that is in Christ. And the language of abiding is favorite John language. John uses it a lot. Is because it's Jesus who used it. But it's mostly taught in the book of John. So we hear Jesus saying, The Son abides in the Father in John 14.10. The Son abides in the Father. Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father? See, I am in the Father. That's union. That's abiding. And the Father is in me, so the Father also abides in the Son. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. And John would also say, believers also abide in the Son. John 15, 4-6. That is actually a much longer discourse. I am not going to read all of it. So I'll just read verses 4 to 6. But the believers abide in the Son. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So the only way that you are not going to get burned is if you abide in Christ. Everything else that is not in Christ is just being prepared for the fire. That's what Jesus is saying. So the Father abides in the Son, and the Son in the Father, and the Spirit also abides in the Son, and the believers abide in the Son, and so the believer has and enjoys an intimate relationship with the triune God. Because the Father abides in the Son, the Son abides in the Father, the Son abides in the believer, and the believer abides in the Son. So we are right in there. And so, the intimate relationship that we have with God is centered around the Son. The Son is at the center of this abiding. And so, the eating of the flesh of the Son and the drinking of His blood cannot be, cannot be, meaning the literal eating of His flesh and the drinking of His literal blood that cannot be what Jesus was saying as we argued before but is talking about believing in Christ 
and laying hold of Christ by faith as the only source of salvation and laying hold of him as God's only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. So how do you continue to abide in Christ? You continue to believe the gospel. That's abiding. Okay? The flesh and the blood cannot be eaten unless the lamb or sacrifice had been killed. It could not be eaten until the lamb or sacrifice had been killed. And so the flesh and the blood here are sacrificial terms. And this is important because if we say salvation is in having communion elements, what's going to happen if for some reason because of persecution you are not able to have communion? And how often do you have to have communion to continue to abide? (laughs) How often? Do you eat it every day? Do you eat it three times a day? Or what do you need to do? So that cannot be the language of the physical eating of bread and wine. It is talking about faith in Christ Jesus. So no one gets saved by eating communion elements. Nobody. But only in believing in Christ. We're almost done, actually. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. So the Father, God the Father, is living. So Jesus is very careful to make the statement. He says, God the Father is living. Unlike their fathers which are dead. <laughs> and unlike them who are dead. But because God is the living God, Jesus Christ lives as the possessor of the life of God. So he says, according to his humanity, he derived his life directly from the Father. But as the Son of God, he possessed life in himself. Because you're going to hear Jesus going back and forth with language that sounds like he gets life from God, but at the same time, he claims that he has life in himself. So you have to know that Jesus is working theology back and forth as man and as God. He works both of them. So you have to be able to make the distinction. So these are heavenly things. And we'll understand what the Lord will give us to understand. But this is what the Lord is saying. In his flesh, he in his flesh, possessed the life of God. And so he who eats his flesh by faith will also live because of him. What does that mean? It means these who have no life in themselves can only possess it by union with him who is the life of God. But they don't place themselves into union with God because they can't. The Father is the one who puts them into union with the Son. And that is why Jesus earlier said, All those that my Father gives me will come to me. So these are the ones who have been put in union with the Son. And these are the ones who possess the life. And these are the ones who eat the flesh of Christ and drink his blood. So Jesus is the only mediator of the life of God to man. He is the only mediator between God and man. I need to do that statement there. I need to read it again. Verse 57. That's what Jesus is actually saying. Go back to that. As the living father sent me. So there's life in the living father. And I live because of the father. He's talking about his incarnation. And the life that he has. And because he has life in himself. The one who eats him. Will get the life that is in him. The life of the father. And he is saying, I am the only mediator. I am mediating the life of God to you who are lifeless. 
I am the mediator, the only mediator between God and man. And so my incarnation was necessary for your life. And this is how God determined to package and communicate life to the sinful and lifeless. And so one can only live because of him. And that is another term of grace. And our last verse is verse 58. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who is this bread will live forever. And so the Lord emphasizes again the origin of this bread and says, this bread, and I'm thinking he is pointing to himself. <laughs> He's pointing to himself and says, this is the bread which came down out of heaven. This is superior bread. This is life-giving bread, not as the manner that the fathers ate and died. Do you see the distinction? Jesus uses the negative and the positive. If you ate the manner, you died. But if you eat this bread, you live. This bread gives life. And so there is a huge difference between these two types of bread and provision. So in our conclusion, what is all that saying? That's a lot of words. <laughs> a lot of theology. It is saying, you and I have no life in ourselves. And there's no life that can be given to you from one who is from this world. And that's why you need to be born again. That's why you need a different way of delivery. Anybody who was born in this world and traces their origin from here is bound to die forever. If something is not done for them, and there's only one way for them to live, it is by the eating of the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. His flesh is the true bread, the living bread, and his blood is the true drink. And all that is saying, life cannot be had outside the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And this is why the church is messed up. Because the church has so far removed itself from the preaching of the cross. That's the issue. Is the cross that gives life. And this benefit is communicated to the lifeless by faith. The communication of the life of Jesus to you is what is called the eating and the drinking and the beholding of the Son. To get this life, one has to believe. To get this life, you have to believe in Christ. Okay? There's no one who's going to be saved who doesn't believe in Jesus. But those who believe do so because they already possess it. <laughs> so, and Jesus says, the one who believes has eternal life. Okay? But the one who eats this bread will live forever. And that means they can't be lost. So with all the commotion that is about to happen in our own country, we don't know how much the Lord will allow this to go and when it's going to stop. But the security of the gospel is you can never lose anything in Christ. And you're never going to lose yourself. Even if they kill you, they can't kill you. <laughs> you already have life. How can you try to kill life? So the promise of eternal life is a promise of security to the believer. And Jesus was revealed so as to make life accessible to those who could not reach it. Jesus Christ is the only mediator of the life of God to a sinful, dead, dying, and condemned world. Jesus did not give us any other options to have life. He did not give us any other options to have life. These are very exclusive and very dogmatic statements. You either eat the body of Jesus or you perish. No multiple ways of salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen.
so done today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before the throne again to praise you and thank you for the teaching here from the book of John to tell us about who we are as those who were lifeless, those who were dead in trespasses and sins, and yet have been given a way to possess the life of Christ, the life of God. And Christ has so come in a way that enables us to access the life of God. And by him being raised on the cross and dying for our sins and justifying us and giving us the faith and granting us repentance, all this, Lord, is such a wonderful blessing that is above and beyond what we even know and understand what that means. But we know that it is true because it's you who is teaching us. So, Lord, we pray and we thank you for your gospel. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to keep your people and to gather them and to provide for them. And, Lord, we ask for your grace for those who were not able to make it. For one reason or another, Lord, we ask that you keep them and that you bring them here again next week as we gather around the teaching of your word. And, Lord, as before, we pray for the church, the church that Christ purchased with his own blood, that you would sanctify it with the cross, sanctified with the truth, that they may preach Christ and him crucified, that all may rally around the Son of God, the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of his people. Lord, we thank you for all provision. We thank you for the food that you have set before us, and we thank you for this wonderful day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.